Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time. Ah, aren't you glad you know God? I have a riddle for you this morning to start things off. If you get the uh, work, weekly church email, you uh, have seen this, uh, but I want to bring it to you again. If not, if you don't get the weekly church email, I encourage you to go on our website and go over to the far right, I think it is, where it talks about the online office. And then you can scroll down and you can subscribe to our weekly email. It goes out every Wednesday night. And it kind of keeps you informed on what's happening this Sabbath and what's going on in our church. So make sure you sign up for that if you don't get it. But here's the riddle. From a very young age, we crave it. When we are children, we think everything is about it. And we would do anything to get it. If we aren't careful, as we mature, we might still think life is about it. A lot of people in the world are even willing to fight or kill for it. But God has revealed to us that life is not about it. In fact, Jesus has told us that we are even better off without it. And that we can completely trust God with it. So what is it? Any ideas? Attention? I heard mumbles, rumblings in the crowd. What a Religion? Money? We had someone in first service say food. <laughs> uh, well, that could be. Well, let's, uh, let's go on a journey this morning and see if we uh, can solve this riddle. I, uh, I have a quiz for you. It's a pictorial quiz. We're going to just see. I just want to make sure I know who I'm dealing with here this morning. So... I want to see what, what you say to these answers. Let's put the first one up. What does that mean? Okay, well, 5% of you think that means go. What do the rest of you think it means? Green means go, right? Let's try the next one. This is where we find the perpetual speeders in our congregation. Uh, those who know what it means say, you know, slow down, caution. And those who have a bad habit say, gun it, right? <laughs> Pedal to the metal, go faster before you get caught in the red. All right? Uh, I found that when I was in Seattle, they had this neat, uh, neat, neat deal. It was a, you know, they have a, the, the turn lights, the arrows, and they have a yellow turn light, and then it starts to flash as it gets closer to changing red, so you know to go faster, you know, when it goes, when it goes there. Okay? The next one, uh, let's see, means stop. Now, how many of you really believe that that means stop? Because what you believe, what you do is what you really believe, right? So you really think that means stop? Okay. I have a, I have a friend. Uh, we don't get to see each other too much anymore because he moved and I moved and, and so forth. And, and I remember being with him. We were coming back late from somewhere. And there wasn't a lot of cars out on the road. And, and he came to a red light and we're sitting there. And then he looked around and he took off. And I go, what are you doing? And he goes, there's nobody around. You know, the law is just there for me to decide, you know, when it needs to be applied or not. I go, okay. Now, if there was a policeman there, I think you'd be saying something a little bit different. Now, let's try another one just to see what. So what do you think that means? Are you sure? I'm throwing out clues. You know, it's. Yeah. 
So tell us what your mommy and daddy do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, all right, stop. Here's a, here's a few more, okay? I'm just kind of having fun with this. What do you think that means? <laughs> okay, do not enter. Let's go to the next one, okay? Do not enter wrong way even. Uh, You just, you just should not be at that place, I guess. It's just, it's just in the wrong place. Okay. Now, if you can read that one in your rearview mirror, uh, you did something wrong. Okay? But that was kind of interesting. All right. There, now, now I, I want to show you a brief video that's going to take us deeper into maybe solving the riddle. And uh, let's see what you think after we watch this video for a little bit. Why would you obey authority? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> no comment. Why do you obey authority? It's their flaws. I know if I don't, I might wind up someplace I'm not supposed to. I see. And then, like in the pokey. Well, you got to have some rules and laws in society, man. For the common good of several people, there has to be some type of order. Why? Because you go to jail if you don't. Okay, what if you didn't go to jail? Well, if I didn't go to jail, I don't I mean, know. What is the underlying reason behind doing that? What's the underlying reason behind being authority? It's just natural. Notice you got a check in your hand? Just wondering, what is it that uh, would prevent you from, from just taking all the money that's in there? <laughs> I got a family. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Why did you walk within the crosswalk? Why? Yeah. What you're supposed to do. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. What? Why did you stop? Because you guys were in the way. Well, why? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> why would I obey authority? I asked you first. <laughs> Well, because God's word says to obey the authority over me. Why do you obey authority? Why do I obey authority? Because I was brainwashed that way from early childhood. Well, what if you weren't brainwashed? You still got to respect authority. Otherwise, everything would be chaos. Who are we doing this for? Uh, I, I hate the, uh, you know, bu bust your bubble or whatever. You got in mind, uh, but uh, you know, make you, you appear as though you something wrong with you. You, you don't ask. You should ask uh, some uh, uh, a question that makes more sense. Like, right. uh, what, what what do you think of the price of food? What do you think about the price of food? It's high. Okay. Let me ask you another question. Why would you obey authority? Because I'm a born-again Christian, and I obey the Bible. And the Bible says to obey those who have authority over you. Can I ask you a quick question? Why do you obey authority? Well, I guess that's the way I was brought up, from the old school, in the Bronx, with a big family, and we had to be had to do right. OK? 
Okay. Fantastic. And what do you think about the price of food? I think it's a little high right now. Excuse me, sir. What do you think about the price of food? Mm hmm And uh, why do you obey authority? Here, sit. Excuse me, sir. Why do you obey authority? I don't. All right, why do you not obey authority? Um, because I'm a rebel. All right, well then, would you rather there not be any rules? Yes. And what would a world be like? Your conscience should be your rules. Nobody should tell you what to do. Well, what would drive your conscience? Um, your beliefs, um, your um, upbringing. Such as? Family. Where would their rules come from? Common sense. And a belief. Belief if, in what? Um, believe in God. If for somebody believe in God, for somebody another believe, believe in life. Um, common sense of to uh, treat, um, taking care of, uh, let's say, what you want for others is what you, should, what you want for yourself. So. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, and uh, what do you think about the price of food? Price of food, it's fine. If you compare to other countries, we live in a great country. Thank you. <laughs> Interesting answers. Interesting answers. Living under someone else's authority can be a huge issue for us as human beings, can it? You know, um, you've heard statements like this. Who died and made you what? God or boss, right? Uh, who are you to tell me that I can't do what I want to do? What do you mean, no? Hmm. It can be like this with God, too. Sometimes we can see God as just this big no in the sky. You know, I think of the story of how it all began in Adam and Eve. And there is this beautiful garden and beautiful man and woman, and, and God has given them this life and created this wonderful place, and he places this tree there, and he says, now, don't eat this fruit if you want to live. And he puts it there, and because he's so loving, he gives us a choice to choose. He doesn't force us to live under his reign. He gives the opportunity, but he says, but don't eat this, because you will surely die. And sometimes love says no, doesn't it? Sometimes we think love is always about saying yes. Well, if you love me, you'll do this. If you love me, you'll give me this. If you love me, why are you saying no? Sometimes love says no. I think the basic definition of sin is ruling our own lives. Believing that we could actually rule our lives better than God Almighty can. I think that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Oh, does God really know how to take care of us? Does God really have my best interest at heart? Can God really take care of me? I think I need to take care of this situation. And so I don't believe that love says no sometimes. I was uh, in youth ministry back in the dark ages. And that was, I remember a phone call from a parent. And they said, um, when are you going to tell my kids what they can watch and what they can't watch? What they can listen to, what they can't listen to, and what they can do and what they can't do. And I said, I thought that was your job. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I could never tell my children no. And I'm not kidding with you. This was a real conversation. And I said, I go, in a nice way, I'm sure I said, you're going to have some problems. <laughs> uh, and she just said, I just love my kids too much. I cannot tell them no. 
So I'm hoping that you will tell them no. And I said, no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Sure, I'll, we'll process things as a youth group, and we'll process things in the media and the culture and all those things, but it's up to you. And I revealed, to, I told her, I said, you know, studies still show that parents have the biggest influence on their kids' spiritual lives, no matter what. Love says no. Love says no. Now, I brought, I brought one of, uh, I keep this in my study. I think my mother gave this to me. Uh, Big Mo, as VeggieTales calls him, right? And uh, we all know the scene well, probably, where, where God gives his law on Mount Sinai, and Moses is there, and the Ten Commandments. And I love, I love this little guy. Um, he speaks the word. And we have this on? Yeah, there we go. Now, let me see if you can hear this okay. Isn't that great? Goes through all of them. Just in case you forgot these. There you go. There's a lot of no's in there. Shell nots, right? In fact, for uh, for some of the uh, the commandments, the actual Hebrew is just two words: no kill. No adultery. No steal. Just that's it. No. Sometimes love says no. Now just imagine if you would, just in, in your imagination, I want you to imagine a world with the assumption that everybody wants to do this. They're happy to do it. Nobody's being forced to do this. That we live in a world where all the Ten Commandments are being lived out. No killing. No stealing. No coveting. No any of those things. No lying. Can you imagine? What a world. Now imagine a world where none of the Ten Commandments are being lived out. Everyone's stealing. Everyone's killing. Everyone's lying. Everyone's coveting. Everyone is... Isn't it good that love says no sometimes? Jesus. Jesus lived a life fully under authority. When I look at the life of Jesus, his whole life was committed to living under the reign of the Father. I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. I don't say anything I don't hear him say. Sometimes when I'm talking with people in preparation for baptism, I'll ask, why did Jesus get baptized? And I throw that out to you as well. Why did Jesus get baptized? He had no sin. We often say, I'm going to get baptized because I'm a sinner. I need to be washed of my sins. But Jesus had no sin. Why on earth would he be baptized? Sure, he was the perfect lamb that was going to take away our sins and he had to live the life. But I want to suggest to you today that Jesus was baptized because he was showing the world that he was going to live under the authority of the Father. That he was going to live under the lordship and the reign of his Father. That it would always be about his Father's will being done, not his will being done. And we saw that lived out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, I want this cup to pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Paul wrote in the book of Philippians that Jesus humbled himself and took the form of a man and was obedient to God even to the point of death. Jesus said these words in John 12, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. 
I know that this command, his command, leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. The apostles got in a lot of trouble for fully living under the authority of God, for trusting God completely with their lives. I love the story found in Acts chapter 5 where Peter and the apostles are getting arrested because they're preaching the gospel and they end up in prison. And the angel shows up at night and says, get out of here, go preach this message that you have. And they go out the next morning and preach some more. And so the leaders bring them back in and Peter and the other apostles reply, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. You see, where God's spirit is, there's obedience. And where there's obedience, God reigns. Because when we obey what God asks us to do, his will is being done. He doesn't want to see people killed. He doesn't want to see stealing happen or, loving, or, or hating or lying or, or coveting or any of the other things. He wants his children to, to know love. And that happens under his reign. The psalmist in Psalm 119 wrote all about the love of, of obedience and, and God's word. He says in verse 68, You are good and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I want, I want to say something so you completely understand where I'm coming from. I am in no way saying that obedience to God earns us favor with God. We are completely and absolutely saved by the grace and the mercy of God. Now, I also think that sometimes the gospel only gets half told. I also believe that sometimes the gospel stops with, I'm justified. You see, the good news is, yes, we are justified with God because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But the other half of the good news is that we get to grow in life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our life because of the life God calls us to. Now, he doesn't leave us at the foot of the cross, but he says, come follow me. Come and trust that everything I have to say about life and your life in particular really is the way to go. Jesus said, I came to bring the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wide open to anybody who wants to come in and live under our reign again. And Jesus says, trust me, there's no better place and no better way to live. We don't keep the law to earn God's favor. We grow in the law because we have God's favor. And there's a huge, huge difference. The wise man in Ecclesiastes, after saying there's a time for this and a time for that and everything in between, Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. He finally concludes by saying in verse 13, Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. Dallas Willard, I want to share these words with you. In the Divine Conspiracy said this, History has brought us to the point where the Christian message is thought to be essentially concerned 
only with how to deal with sin, with wrongdoing or wrong being and its effects. Life, our actual existence, is not included in what is now presented as the heart of the Christian message. Or it is included only marginally. That is where we find ourselves today. When we examine the broad spectrum of Christian proclamation and practice, we see that the only thing made essential on the right wing of theology is forgiveness of the individual sins. On the left is the removal of social and structural evil. The current gospel then becomes, listen to this, a gospel of sin management. Transformation of life and character is no part of the redemptive message. Moment to moment, human reality in its depths is not the arena of faith and eternal living. A life limited to managing sin is puny and painful. Jesus did not come so we could manage our sin. He came that we could have life abundantly. He came that we could see the way to life and to see that living under the the reign of God is the greatest life anyone can live, which he lived. And he invites us into that. And so love says no sometimes. Love says, don't do that. Don't do that. Sometimes, uh, you know, for those of you who are parents, do you ever have days where you feel like all you're saying is no? And you go, man, can I say yes to something? I got to like look for things to say yes to. But sometimes love says no because you don't want to see your children hurt. You don't want to see them experience pain. You don't want to see them go through that. Because when they do, you do as well. I want to show you another picture. Another picture that uh, um, I took in Redlands. And this is something that my son noticed a few months ago. You can actually see it better at nighttime. Uh, we were there at the stoplight. We were going to be turning left. Um, this, is, this is on the south side of the 10 freeways between Orange and Eureka. And so if you're coming from Orange and you're on that surface street right next to the freeway, uh, you come here and... and you have three options. Uh, you can turn left, you can turn right, or you can go straight. Even though technically it shouldn't be an option. But I guess if you wanted to, you could. And at night, if you're sitting there, you hardly see the cars and the headlights coming to you because the reflection off of your headlights are hitting the four do not enter wrong way signs. Just, it's just bright as can be. And I remember sitting there, and I was looking off, thinking about something, and my son goes, Dad, look, look at that. And I looked, and there it was, bright as day. And I said, wow, what, what a beautiful example of, I think, why God says no. You know, you look at that, and, and if you're to go forward, you're going to go into all these cars coming off the freeway. And it's like when God gives us his law, when he asks us to be obedient, he says, don't do that. No, don't do that. He doesn't have a power trip. God doesn't have an ego. But he loves us. And he says, please don't do that. Because if you do, you're going to go on to head-on traffic. And you will hurt. And you might even die. And we need to remember that, that God has feelings. And that God loves you. He doesn't love you just as some mechanical being. He loves you. He weeps over you. When you hurt, he hurts. When you suffer, he suffers. And when we do things that are self-destructive, it hurts him. I think that when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, what I hear him saying is, if you love me, don't make me watch you hurt yourself. If you love me, don't make me watch you destroy yourself. If you love me, don't make me watch you not experience the abundant and profound life you were created for. 
Because God doesn't leave us or forsake us. When we do those things, he goes with us because he wants to be with us and he loves us. Winston Churchill said this, there comes a special moment in everyone's life, a moment for which that person was born, that special opportunity when he seizes it will fulfill his mission, a mission for which he is uniquely qualified. In that moment, he finds greatness. It is his finest hour. Now he was talking about something else, but when I read that, I said, in my opinion, Every person's greatest hour is when they discover that the greatest opportunity in life is to live under the authority of God. To live under His reign. To give Him all the control and to say, I'm not any good at ruling my life. I was not designed to rule my life. You alone, God, are the only one who can truly rule and guide my life. And so I bring us back to the original riddle. From a very young age, We crave it. When we're children, we think everything is about it. And we would do anything to get it. If we aren't careful as we mature, we might still think life is all about it. A lot of people in the world are even willing to fight or kill for it. But God has revealed to us that life is not about it. In fact, Jesus has told us that we are even better off without it. And that we can completely trust God with it. Isn't it great news to let Jesus rule? To let him have all the authority and power and control in our life. Something about peace beyond understanding. And strength like we never know anywhere else. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for saying no. Thank you that you love us enough to say no. Help us to trust you enough to know that it means you love us. Give us the grace to daily keep letting go and letting you be in control. Trusting your authority. Trusting your ability and your competence to rule and to always know that you are good all the time. Take a moment now in silent prayer to talk to your reigning king. quote the psalmist once more this morning. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Amen.